Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Finally, the international break is at an end and real rugby can return. Back to mark the occasion, I'm Gareth Hanna and joining me this week is Belfast Telegraph resident rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how are you well? Very well. Uh, did you enjoy your few weeks in the, the host chair? Uh, I did, yeah. It's a, it's a very different experience. Newfound respect for, for everything that you bring to the podcast, Gareth. I didn't think that I could respect you anymore, but, but obviously I was wrong. Getting new heights. Well... Who doesn't seem to respect me even more are the listeners, Jonathan, because you were getting plenty of praise on social media for your hosting abilities. And every single one of those tweets was like a knife in my back. But uh, here I we are. You're going to say you're getting DMs being like, when are you coming back? No, I am back by unpopular demand. So uh, you can uh, like it or not, but uh, I'm back. Um, also alongside us this week is reporter extraordinaire, Adam McCandry. Hello, Adam. Thank you very much for that intro, Gareth. I don't think I've ever been described as a reporter extraordinaire before. Well, nice to have the nice to have the original trio back as well. This is it. The only the what, second, second or third time this season, second maybe. So uh, yes, here we are. So we will, of course, be discussing another Ireland victory, the significance of that one for all of the Ulster contingent, and then looking ahead to the provincial return in Leinster this weekend. So first of all. The Ireland game. They completed their hat trick of wins in uh, the Autumn Internationals and won that uh, World Cup knockout uh, stage that uh, they were imagining in their minds, as uh, John Dixon was telling us about last week. So uh, I think we can sort of say they're uh, Autumn International World Cup champions at this stage. Uh, well done, Ireland. 53 7 record win over Argentina in their uh, the final. Uh, Jonathan, they did get a trophy for beating Argentina. They what? They did get a trophy for beating Argentina. Did they get a trophy? Peter Romani was just lifting it by himself. Oh, I mean, this, just left him to it. This is like <laughs> the rugby equivalent of the Audi Cup, isn't it? Nobody actually cares about it. It's like, I think just every chess match, you know, <laughs> there's these things. Like the centenary quitch is always uh, is always my favourite one. But um, no, they were, they were given some trophy for and, beating uh, for beating Argentina. And so what, is this a trophy that is played for every time Ireland plays Argentina? Or is this an Autumn Internationals trophy? Or, like, what is it? Do we know? I imagine it's every time they play Argentina in a, a test match, an autumn test match rather than a World Cup. I don't think in 2015, after Argentina hammered Ireland in the quarterfinal, that they were running around being like, and that's not all, boys. We got this trophy as well. <laughs> I know. It's a, trophy, a trophy's a trophy. Ulster would take it. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, I'm a Spurs fan. I know all too well that a trophy's a trophy. <laughs> I'm really intrigued as to know what, the, what this trophy is called. Oh, here we are. The Admiral... William Brown Cup is an international rugby union competition contested between Argentina and Ireland, first held in 2012 at the Aviva Stadium. Trophies named after Admiral William Brown, the Irish Argentine uh, who founded the Argentine Navy. I've uh, mixed up how I pronounced Argentina or Argentine there because it was actually this came into my head the other day when somebody said it and I thought, I don't know which one of those is right. So that's just a wee one of each. If anybody knows which of those is right, please let us know. But we really are digressing to ridiculous levels at this stage. So Ireland actually did uh, win that, that trophy then with um, what was a fairly convincing performance, Jonathan? Yeah, wholly convincing. I think they were a bit more... They certainly weren't as fluid as they had been in the previous two games with ball in hand. I think that that an awful lot of that was down to how Argentina started the game 
defensively they were much more aggressive as they needed to be whenever you looked at the team sheet like the strength of that Argentina team was how aggressive and physical they could be in defence in that forward pack they didn't give Ireland the same edges that they've been able to work against Japan that they've been able to work against New Zealand but essentially Ireland just find another way to win you know I think seven tries cumulatively the distance was probably about seven feet maybe from uh, from the line if you if you add them all together. So it wasn't quite the uh, sparkling back play that we'd seen in the previous two games, but they got the job done. They beat a decent side by a massive margin. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, you were last on after the Japan game and you were talking a lot about Ireland's style of play and uh, how that was going to, to look going forward. So what did you make of the style of play this time out? Yeah, similar to what Johnny said, you know, they weren't running in tries from... 50 metres and I know they didn't do that against the All Blacks either but I think the general style of play stayed the same it was just where they finished the tries from was a lot closer in but that that to me is the most encouraging thing looking across all three tests is the fact that the style of play stayed pretty much exactly the same with little variations based on the opponent that they were playing but for the most part they kept a very consistent style and they definitely tried this more attacking approach which definitely paid off you know, if you look back at games that they played during the Six Nations, if you take the England game out of it, it was very kicking driven. It was very uh, methodical. This was very much more attacking off the cuff. And, you know, even whenever you add, like, we all know the quality of Robbie Henshaw, but given how well Bondiaki and uh, Gary Ringrose have been playing together in the first two tests, you always have that little bit of a, a nagging doubt in your mind of, will that disrupt things a little bit? But Henshaw just slotted straight back in there with the quality that he has and he kept that back line going so for me I think Ireland have found something that works there will be little tweaks to it that they'll have to make as, as I said you know the exact way they played against Japan was different to the exact way they played against the All Blacks and was different to the exact way they played against Argentina but they find you know the the sort of core of what they want to do so Jonathan yeah we talk about this uh emerging Andy Farrell Ireland style and everything that we've we learned this November the three wins three performances that we've seen just how confident does this leave you at this juncture before the uh, the upcoming World Cup on a scale of 2018 to 2019 2018 being very confident 2018 being may as well not bother playing in between 2018 and a half <laughs> yeah yeah June of 2018 um I still think that the World Cup's a massive ask because of the fixture list. And I've said this before, like I'm, I'm not banging on about it, but like they have to play South Africa in the pools, who are still ranked as the number one team in the world. They have to play Scotland in the pools, which is a live game. Like Ireland are better than Scotland, but it's not a walk in the park. And that's just to get to the point of playing New Zealand, who are historically the best rugby nation in the world or France here, the hosts and the team that people think by 2023 will be the best team in the world. So you could you could be very, very good come the World Cup and still not make a semi-final. But I don't think it I don't think this is about the World Cup. I think this is just about direction. Everything's about the World Cup for me, Jonathan. When an Ulster well, player makes his debut for Ulster, it's about the World Cup. I I, I know that. You're like, can Nathan Duke make the World Cup? <laughs> that was after he played about eight minutes for Ulster. Um, well, look, I called Robert Balakoon and I was ridiculed after his debut. And here we are, Jonathan. Here we are. He also called Michael Lowry and he hasn't made his debut yet. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Look, what He's got say? the kit bag, though. He was in an Ireland squad. Just Yeah. 
you know, sure. his time, his time can still come, you know, it's, he just needs to play for Ulster a bit more first. Um, but I just think basically since, since the first game of the Six Nations of 2019, whenever Joe Schmidt famously said that maybe something was broken in Ireland, it hadn't felt like that was fixed. Like Ireland, it felt like they sort of drifted from that historical peak of November 2018 through really the start of the 2021 Six Nations. In hindsight now, maybe we didn't give that win over England enough respect. We looked at it as a good one-off result. But if you look at that result as part of an overarching picture over the last, whatever that is, eight months, then that looks like the first sign that they were building something and going in that right direction again. And that's carried through an impressive summer series where an awful lot of young players were blooded. And through this November where... For the first time since 2018, for me, we really know what the team is and we really know what the team is trying to do. And that, to me, is far more important right now in November of 2021 than their World Cup prospects. Yeah, well, that's all very boringly grounded. I'm very confident that Ireland will absolutely smash New Zealand or France, whoever the play, it doesn't matter, um, and probably go on and, uh, and win the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, You're the only third favourites for the Six Nations. Aye, but sure. Uh, like the boogies have them as the third best team in Europe, let alone the aye, best but, team in the world. See, the who, who, they're not going to peak too early this time, Jonathan. They're built. Okay. So yeah. it's a process. The 2022 Six Nations would be too early. It's it's better to save that for... Exactly. So we talk about, you talk there, Jonathan, about knowing... Uh, exactly what uh, more or less exactly what Ireland's team is and um, we have to look a little bit now then as to what that means for some players the one who is uh, probably most on the the tongues of Ulster supporters at the present moment is of course Ian Henderson who pulled out after the warm-up on Sunday so we are recording this before the Ulster Press Conference, which will be later on on uh, Tuesday afternoon. So we will know, know more about that uh, around about the time this podcast is published in all likelihood. So uh, late on Tuesday afternoon, early evening, we if there is anything meaningful said on uh, Ian Henderson's injury in that presser, we will uh, have it up on the, on the Belfast Telegraph website. So just um, keep a little eye out for uh, for that one there. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll we'll get some good news. Donald asks, I think some, well, says he thinks some established players might struggle to consistently get into the Irish team after that Argentina game. Ireland looked slow with Murray at nine, he says, and Ian Henderson's fitness continues to be a plague. Would you have concerns for either player moving forwards, given how well their stand-ins performed, Adam, if we take Ian Henderson first? Have you any any concerns about the, I mean, Ian Henderson's probably well, he's the only Ulster player at this stage, at, at this present moment, who looks like a starter in Ireland's strongest team. Do you think that's even that's at risk? Well, I, I don't think he's secure in his spot in the same way that I don't think any Ireland player at the moment is secure in their starting spot. I don't think you can... I think pro, there are a couple of players you can probably say, yeah, like 99% of the games, they're going to start. You know, you're talking about Sexton, Henshaw, Porter, Furlong, guys like them. But for the most part, nobody should be sitting there going, I'm a guaranteed starter right now. And Henderson and I would say James Ryan now are 
probably in that position where Tagburn is pushing enough that neither of them should think I'm guaranteed my starting spot. What I do think you get whenever you have Henderson starting alongside James Ryan is you get that bit of stability in the second row. Tagburn is very much that guy that you want to bring on if you want a little bit of chaos around the uh, or in the forwards, he's a much better jackler than Henderson. He's a, he's a much better ball carrier than Henderson. But Henderson's just that steady, solid player that you can plug in at number five. He will give you good carries. He will give you solid defensive work. But he'll just get. He will always give you that sort of at least seven out of ten performance. And whenever you are trying to play in a way that Islander playing, where you have you know guys in your back row who are playing very loose and very freestyling. Henderson is that sort of reliable guy that you can have there. Um, do do I think he's you know at, at risk of missing out? I, I saw Donald going on having a conversation just about his, his injury profile, and I agree that probably the thing that will hold anybody back in this Ireland squad mostly is injury. Um, and I know we'll probably go on and talk about Jacob Stockdale, but you know whenever you're injured and you're missing out, someone's going to step in. They're going to really put in a performance that is going to make make Gandhi Farrell think this person could do a job and Tagburn is that player. He is that quality player that if Henderson is out for any considerable period of time and Burn is impressing in his absence, then it's not too difficult to say we're going to go with Tag here because he's been impressing in your absence. So certainly I think Henderson will know that he's in a battle for his shirt, but I think he is still the number five if everyone was fit and everyone was ready to go. But I, I take your point that if he was out for a considerable period of time and Byrne was impressing for Munster in his absence and then came back in and impressed for Ireland in his absence, then I think you could see a, a changing of the guard there. Johnny, how concerned are you about Ian Henderson's overall injury profile at this stage? He does seem to pick up uh, pick up knocks and more than knocks uh, often enough. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the hamstring, he has had a hamstring issue before. Like at the minute, we, we don't even know if it's the same leg but he has had a serious hamstring problem in the past but like it's, it's just part and parcel of the game and it's especially part and parcel of the way that he plays the game because really even at Ireland level like he plays in a more physical fashion and that's what he gives Ireland I think that and why I think that it becomes a sort of horses for courses scenario at the minute between him and Byrne because whenever they've played for Ireland because like let's not forget this like Henderson has been one of Ireland's best players in this calendar year. And he hasn't missed too many Ireland games. Like, I understand the perception that he misses a lot of Ulster games, but it's not so long ago that we were talking about Henderson's injuries and framing it around his incredible powers of recovery because he's never out for as long as he's supposed to be sort of thing, you know? But personally, I wouldn't get too bogged down in the, is it going to be Henderson? Is it going to be Byrne? Is it going to be Ryan? Because the fact of the matter is that if you have three guys that are that good and they're all exceptional rugby players, that's what Ireland need. Like, you look at South Africa as an extreme case of the example. South Africa quite frequently have their best forwards on the bench. Like, you don't need a forward pack of eight. You know, you need 14, maybe 15, 16, 17 forwards capable of making an impact at this level because injuries are going to happen. So it wouldn't surprise me at all moving forward to see... Just as an example, Byrne start against Wales and Henderson start against France in the same way that we saw Byrne against Japan and Henderson against the All Blacks. 
because they bring very different things, but they're both exceptional rugby players. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. And I suppose it is easy to get uh, get caught up on uh, how many Ulster players will uh, will start for Ireland, and maybe maybe more important to look at the the wider squad than that. But Donal also mentioned Connor Murray there. It's a player Big Jim asks about as well. He says with a ponderous Connor Murray seemingly slowing Ireland's ruck speed. Argentina helped slow it too, he says, though. Is that maybe his last start if Ireland stick to this game plan? He says he does think he'll still appear on the bench, but Big Jim seems to think that uh, Conor Murray starting days for Ireland could be over. Johnny, we'll come to you first on, on this one. Uh, what do you think? Well, I would say he'll, he'll definitely start a- another game. For Ireland, awesome. I don't think... Whoever made the point there about Argentina slowing the ball down was 100% correct because Mer- Conor Murray faced a very different proposition than the one that Jameson Gibson Park faced in the past two weeks. But I also think that their characteristics, their individual characteristics, it certainly looked like Gibson Park was an awful lot better suited to what we believe Ireland are trying to do. And that for me is really the big story of this autumn more than anything else because if anybody predicted that we were going to end the autumn saying that Gibson Park was Ireland's starting scrum half, then fair play to them, but I didn't hear anybody doing it. I said last week that I was fairly sceptical about his coming into this. I was fairly sceptical about his standing in the squad regardless, but he's laid down a marker and really staked a claim to the point where, while I am saying Murray will start another game, I don't think he is the incumbent in the nine jersey, and I think that's the first time that you can say that in near enough 10 years, really. Well, on to the rest of the Ulster contingent then. Robert Balakoon got his second start, obviously, in an Ireland jersey at the weekend, Jonathan. And for such a high-scoring game, it was probably a, a frustrating one to, to be involved in for large periods for, for Robert. Yeah, but I think he did well in the sense that whenever he had the opportunity to make an impact, he did. Like, obviously, looking at it from our perspective and thinking about what our coverage was going to be, like prior to Nick Timoney coming on and becoming the story, you were really looking for Robert to do something. So you had something to write about from an Ulster perspective. And then for the first half an hour, I think he touched the ball once. But, you know, in, in the build-up to that try just before halftime, the the Caelan Doris one, you know, you saw how sharp he still is when he gets on the ball, even after that long period of attacking in inactivity anyway. Yeah. He had a couple of good uh, defensive reads, pulling that guy into touch, a good moment for him. And I think he is one, like we talk about Ireland now having a settled 15, but I think he is one that over the next two years, and the very, the very fact that he started this game when there was so little experimentation in the starting lineup anyway shows that Farrell's maybe thinking about this. He is one that could still force his way into a starting lineup um, on the basis of form over the next... 11 weeks or you know maybe even by by the summer for that tour to New Zealand because he is just you know he, he's an electric electric player and he gives that um he gives that spark and by all accounts given how he was brought into the camp as I suppose what England would call a development player all the way back in 2020 you know he's been flagged very far out by Farrell he's had his injury issues that he's now thankfully come through. And I just think there is a, there is a touch of succession planning as much as I think Andrew Conway hasn't... Sorry, I actually think Andrew Conway has done enough to deserve more of a chance in a full-strength Ireland team. But I do just think that's maybe one spot that is uh, 
possibly up for grabs between now and the Six Nations. Mm, okay. I think Ireland called them development players as well. Did they? Yeah, I couldn't remember whether <laughs> yeah. there was some other term for Just, Just a couple of points on the Balakun that I want to make. The first thing is I think he gets unfairly compared to James Lowe because James Lowe does do a lot of coming inside looking for work. And that's because he has those physical attributes that he can sort of pop up as first receiver and carry. And he is still able to play that decoy sort of 10 position where he can pull it out the back. So two very different wingers. So you'll see Lowe on the ball a lot more in the midfield because, well, he just can. He can sort of run into a few forwards and make that impact. Robert Balakun is very much a winger who is much more suited to being on the wing and using his pace to his benefit. So whenever, and this isn't a criticism of him, these are just two different wingers and two different styles that complement each other very well. So if you have Balakun on the wing and the ball's not getting out to him, you can't blame him for only having limited touches. Um, But I think one of the things is... Andy Farrell could have used this opportunity similarly to Wayne Pivak, where he capped Bradley Roberts to essentially make sure that Roberts was Welsh qualified and couldn't go back to Ireland and potentially get called up by Ireland. He could Farrell could have used this opportunity to bring Matt Hansen in and take away his Australian eligibility because if Hansen goes back to Connacht over the next few weeks and plays like a house on fire, then I have no doubt Australia will be giving him a quick call just to say, look, what are your thoughts on potentially representing us again? So I have absolutely no doubt that Farrell had a lot of temptation to potentially put Hansen in and say, we're going to give you the game here. You're going to get capped by us. And that's you as an Ireland player for the for the future here. But instead, he trusted Balakun. He put Balakun in. So that's an indicator to me of where Balakun sits here. And similar to Johnny, I think these two years could be massive for Balakun to put himself in that window and say, I'm going to be your guy for the World Cup. As we said, it's two years away. There's a long time to go. A lot of things can happen in that time. But already he's seen us sort of that. I don't really want to put a number on where he is in the packing order because obviously Keith Earls was on the bench for... Uh, the Japan and All Blacks games ahead of Balakun. Keith Harris is apparently an outside centre now. Well, there is also that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think that's where you've got Balakun in that mix, that he is considered to be one of your go-to guys in that back three. And I this two years ago, guys. I mean, you're just playing catch up here. I did, I did warn you this was going to happen, and uh, like, well, we'll not, uh, we'll not wreck over that old grind again. So there were another couple. I mean, of I don't players. want to, I don't want to be that guy, Gareth. But you know, we did see him play in a Towns Cup final four years ago and pick him as man of the match. So you know, we weren't <laughs> oblivious to his talents. All right, all right. Yes, another two players were also making their second Ireland caps. Uh, a couple of Ulster players, both off the bench. First of all, uh, Adam Tom O'Toole. He got some uh, nice words of praise from Andy Farrell after the game, who said Tom has grown massively in maturity as far as his scrummaging is concerned and in and around the group just as a, an Irish rugby player. He said he's so pleased for him because he's been patient enough learning his trade. It's a tough position, tight head for a young kid. And he was exceptional when he came on as well. Nice and composed. We did get uh, one person on Facebook who didn't seem to understand that when our headline said Tom O'Toole 
was being hailed as exceptional. Those uh, were Andy Farrell's words and not the Belfast, the typical Belfast Telegraph, as uh, the, the commenter said. But uh, there we go. So, Are we known for bigging up Tom O'Toole? Is that, is well, that I a think thing? Just a, a, a typical hyperbole or something to that effect. Anyway, that's, uh, that's by the by. Adam, was Tom O'Toole exceptional? I want to pick up a word that Andy Farrell used, a different word that he used first, which was patient. He's had so much time in that Ireland squad without getting rewarded with the caps for it. And I think one of the things that whenever you are constantly going down the Carton House, but you're not getting on the pitch as much as you'd like to, you've got to learn a lot of patience. And he certainly has done that. And I think one of the things that we've seen this year from him is he hasn't been quite so noticeable with ball in hand, but he has been a lot more assured at the set piece. And that's probably what... Farrell has wanted from him because it is something that people have picked up on over the last few years, which is his set piece is not as refined as, say, Tag Furlong ahead of him or Finley Balam or guys who he is directly competing with in the Ireland squad. Like he, he wasn't given as much time as I think he would have liked. I think he would have loved to start, but that whenever you're on, you make the most of the chance you're given. He was solid at the scrum. A uh, couple of good touches in the loose. And the thing is, whenever you're coming on in the second half, as Johnny said earlier, you're just wanting to add a bit of energy. And you know that O'Toole will always add a bit of energy for you because he is that kind of a player. He is a real impact player off the bench. And that's where Ulster use him mostly as well. So I think if he keeps sort of showing that, because let's be honest, unless he really starts to up his game, he's not shifting tag Furlong from that starting jersey um, because Furlong's just one of those world-class generational talents at tight head. But if he can continue to show that he is that impact option off the bench, then I think there will definitely be more starts for or more uh, opportunities for him in the future because nobody's really with Porter now shifting over to to Lucid, nobody's really got that 18 jersey nailed down anymore. Mm. So that's where O'Toole can really target and fashion himself in as potentially that go-to number 18. And I think Adam makes an interesting point, and I actually should have thought about this with the Balakin idea as well. O'Toole is somebody that's probably been targeted as for that role for almost as long as Balakin. You know, he was brought into squads before he was capped, and he's the type of player that Ireland clearly want moving forward. Like you look at Rob Herring as the example. Like Rob Herring didn't do anything wrong, I don't think personally, um, in order to lose that starting spot. But what Ireland are trying to do is basically have six dynamic front row players. The Porter switch. That Adam mentioned. So, you know, you at the weekend say they had Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, Kane Healy, who people sort of overlook his level of dynamism in the sense that he was really the modern day prototype of what all these props that have followed him for Ireland were looking back on, sort of thing. Shane, he had a great game coming off the bench, and O'Toole, you know, those players are all of a certain type. And that's something that it's very hard to teach. So that, you know, that that's where. O'Toole is starting from a great a great position, really. And then, like Adam says, I think it's just about it's about seasoning that, it's about developing that. But there is a real opportunity with, with Porter switch to nail down that uh, that rule behind Tyke Furlong. Impact subs can be possibly the most important people on the pitch, especially in that second half. So it's a really important role. And if O'Toole embraces it. I think he can carve out a permanent role in this Ireland team moving forward. But it's one of those roles that you have to embrace 100%. You can't go into it thinking, I still want to start here. I think if you want to be an impact sub and make the most of yourself as an impact sub, you have to embrace that role. 
Well, the last of the Ulster players then who came on just a couple of minutes after O'Toole was Nick Timoney, Jonathan, whose preparation was uh, a little bit different than the rest of the players and included a stop halfway down the road for a croissant. Yeah, I believe that is uh, <laughs> what those service stations are for, to uh, provide breakfast for Ireland rugby players rushing to uh, rushing to the Aviva Stadium to play. <laughs> Um, he, got the call, he got the call from Andy Farrell at 7.45 anybody hasn't read his quotes you can read them Belfast Telegraph uh, website that were up yesterday and uh, it really is a great story he was lying in bed looking forward to getting a lie in and uh, just glad he didn't have his, his phone on silent at uh, coordinate in the morning and it ended up on in a second cap yeah I mean you get a phone call from your boss on a, on a Sunday morning when you're not meant to be working most people are dreading that kind of thing happening <laughs> but um I have my phone off on Sunday morning for that very reason. <laughs> for uh, for Nick Timoney, it resulted in a resulted in a cap, and I think as he acknowledged himself, it was sort of a freak set of circumstances because how often does a player go down in the captain's run and then a player go down in the warm up? So, and I think there is also this sort of element to it as well. The Farrell maybe hinted at that Gavin Coombs had gone to South Africa already with Munster as well, so there was another sort of competitor taken out of the mix there, as it were. But um, I think it's great for him because, as he said himself, coming back up the road on Thursday, he'd really enjoyed the experience. He felt like he'd really learned a lot. But there was that sort of disappointment that he hadn't been involved and hadn't built on that um, summer series. So, like, it's obviously great for him. But I think it's really good for Ulster as well that himself, Tom O'Toole and Balakun are coming up off the back of really positive experiences because... They would have learned a hell of a lot being in camp for three weeks and being in camp with a lot of the guys that weren't in camp over the summer when they were in, remember, because it was a largely inexperienced squad for those USA and Japan games. But to have the Lions back in, to have Earls, Healy and Sexton back in, they'll have learned so much. But to be involved in that last game, to play in front of a full Aviva Stadium when the last time it was 10,000, whatever it was, I think that's a real sort of springboard for them into what's a massively important part of Ulster season. So where did, I mean, we need to get, still need to get on the Ulster's game against Leinster. So we'll uh, try and wrap up the Iron Chat fairly soon. But Adam, we do need to talk about, as you mentioned earlier, Jacob Stockdale as well. Andrew Moffat asked, does Jacob have a realistic chance of getting his shirt back for the Six Nations? Well, of course he has a good chance because he was in the squad before he got injured and, I think if he comes back after his injury and plays well for Ulster, then there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't put him straight back into that squad because he he is one of those great talents in that Ireland back three. The bigger question for me is, does he get his starting jersey back? Because I don't think you've seen anything from James Lowe to say he's deserving of being dropped. And I don't think you've seen anything from Andrew Conway to suggest that he should get any less time, as Johnny was saying there. So I think if, if anybody has been, I don't want to use the word hurt, but it's it's the only word that's sort of come to mind at the moment, or disadvantaged by this window in particular, I think it probably is Jacob Stockdale. You know, he it's, it's not even like he has had a chance to prove the Ireland coach is wrong. He's been injured the entire time. So he's essentially been laid at home, watching on, 
while other guys impress in his jersey. So this isn't like a, a death knell to his international career or anything like that, not even close. Like he is still an international quality back three player. He hasn't been in the best form. And I think he would be one of the first people to admit that. But we all know the sort of game-changing ability that he has. And he would fit into this Ireland team very, very well. So if he comes back and plays well for Ulster over the festive period and going into January, then I don't see any reason why you wouldn't call him into the into the squad for the Six Nations. And then it's just about who impresses most in training whenever they're down in camp. So uh, absolutely not. I, w- I would not think he's in, by any means lost out considerably in this autumn internationals window. It will be tough for him to get back into the squ- into the match day squad, though. But guys like that, they should be relishing that challenge. So if uh, if Jacob's feeling sorry for himself, then he's got the wrong attitude, and I don't think he will be. I think he'll be really excited to get back to work with Ulster and uh, get back to playing with Ireland sometime soon. Yeah, he's got to get out of the moon boot first. Like that's the first. Well, yeah, that's the first <laughs> hurdle, you know, because there's so many there are so many big games that there is an opportunity for players to catch the eye but you know this isn't going to be your run-of-the-mill ERC fixtures that are coming up we talked about it last week there is a massive stretch of big games coming up but you got to get yourself right and you got to get yourself back in the Ulster team first yeah no absolutely but uh, fingers crossed he'll he'll do that and as you say be back with Ireland before too long Johnny just to bookmark the the Ireland chat then if Ian Henderson is the arguably the only Ulster player left in Ireland's strongest starting 15 at the minute where do you see the rest of the Ulster players or who's the sort of in that next batch of uh, likely or reasonably likely to, to push into that? Well, I think there's every chance that Balakun's the starting right winger by the World Cup. I would agree with Adam. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Stockdale wins his jersey back off James Lowe. Like, we're talking about James Lowe off the back of two good games for Ireland, really. Or three good games, I suppose. But um... His form in the past has proven to be patchy. So, you know, he ends in November very much in possession of that shirt, but like things can change quickly in that regard. The big thing from an Ulster perspective, I guess, is O'Toole, as we said, nailing down that role. I'd love to see Timoney get that next slot because it looks like the the loose forward trio is pretty set. But we mentioned Coombs there, Conan obviously to come back in, O'Mahony's still there. It's that's the hardest position group to break into, in my mind. And then the only thing that I think would have been, also would have liked to see over the autumn that they didn't see, and I mentioned Keith Earls there getting three runs at outside centre off the bench. I think also would have liked to see James Shume get a crack in one of those games at outside centre, which is his best position and probably not Keith Earls' best position, to be fair, as great a player as Keith Earls is. This but is the start of the... Again. The start of the Jonathan Bradley curse here, I think. This this could be it. You know, I knew I knew that I shouldn't have backed him. I knew that it wasn't <laughs> fair on him, but um, but here we are. You know, again, we've seen this scenario where Ringrose, Henshaw, and Aki haven't been fit at the same time in this window. It's it's incredible how frequently that happens, where the three of them just don't all be available at the same time. So as much as we're saying saying, you know, oh, we would like to see Hume get a run. And don't forget, McCluskey was down there as well without playing. The fact of the matter is that centre's a very tough group to crack as well. And as we've seen with McCluskey, if you don't show the ability to play somewhere else, then you're probably not going to get that bench spot either. So it's 
starter or bust there. So it, w- it wouldn't surprise me at all if we get to the Six Nations and it's still just handy starting. And then you're really looking at, I would say, O'Toole as the backup tight head and Stockdale maybe in that 23 jersey if James Lowe is still in the 11 jersey. But I th- we're in danger of getting too bogged down into how many Ulster players are involved in the Ireland team, I think, to be honest. Because at the end of the day, a winning Ireland team is the right Ireland team. So you can't end this window quibbling about selection because they beat three good teams. And when I say good teams, I mean top 12 teams in the world. So the selection was bang on. And I know, yeah, you know, they're going to go away to Twickenham. They're going to go away to the Stade de France in the next Six Nations. They'll go away to New Zealand for three games in the summer. And those are the next real acid test, as it, as it were. So we shouldn't be getting overly carried away with this November, given that, as always, it's the end of the Southern Hemisphere season and the start of the North, Northern Hemisphere season. So you've got two squads in very different places. But I think we end the window with a team that is the right one, given what they produced over the last three weeks. I don't think there can be too many people saying that it should be a different selection now, yeah. regardless of how many Ulster players are on it. <laughs> yeah, well, we have to fight their corner nonetheless. Just uh, very briefly, new Rob Herring in your your uh, your summary there. Where do you see him? Well, I think like like I mentioned earlier, you know, I think that through no fault of his own, he's been supplanted by different types of players because he's done what he does well well when playing for Ireland. So that makes sense. But yeah. I think in the same vein as Tom O'Toole, looking like the man over Finley Bailey moving forward. There's a certain archetype that Farrell is looking for his front row, whether that be from the start or replacements. And for everything that Herring does well, I think it's the fact that Kelleher and Sheehan do different things. And it's more what Farrell's looking for. It's no slight on Rob Herring or the way that Rob Herring's playing. But from the outside looking in, the way that selection's gone since the end of the Six Nations, it looks like he's moving away from Rob in favour of what would be viewed as more dynamic players with ball in hand. Okay. Well, we shall see uh, come Six Nations time just where, where all of those Ulster players are. And Andy Farrell did issue something of a challenge to particularly the guys who didn't get any game time to go and uh, and show what they can do at provincial level, particularly in the Interpros coming up and to uh, to prove that, that he should be giving them more time on in a, a green jersey. So we'll see uh, come the Six Nations in, what is it, 11 weeks' time. But for now, Ulster back in action on Saturday. Saturday at 8pm in Leinster. Adam, what sort of a squad do Ulster have available, both in terms of any of that international contingent and what way are we with injuries? Is that long ago? I can't remember. It's not long ago. I'm not sure I can remember either. Um, Expecting John Cooney back this week. And I'm, I'm imagining none of the Ireland players who played any minutes during the Autumn Internationals will be playing. So I'd say of the squad that went down, you're probably talking about McCluskey and Hume being able to come straight back in. Apart from that, I think everyone else will be unavailable just due to the fact that they'll have to be rested under, under the RFU's player management program. I think... Uh, Given the two and a half months that Ulster have coming up and how crucial they will be to their season and the fact that you're coming up against the Leinster team that will still be very good. We all know how good Leinster's B team is. Um, Sorry, A team, as I think we're supposed to refer to them as. 
Um, we all know how good they are. So the Leinster are still going to be a very good prospect, but at the same time, they're going to be missing a fair chunk of players. You know, I think of the 31 players that Ireland used over the Autumn Internationals, I think you're talking maybe 22 of them are, are from Leinster. So they're missing a team in a bit, essentially. So I think Ulster will go as full strength as they can be for this game in order to try and start this sort of window of, of games in the best possible manner. Because the reality is, over the next two and a half months, Ulster's season could be made or broken. You know, it's yeah. you could be you could be through to the knockouts in Europe, or you could be uh, sorry, you could be through to the knockouts in Europe, and you could have all but clinched a, a playoff spot in the ERC or you could be out of Europe and scrambling to try and get a, a place in the knockouts in the latter half of the season of the URC. So this is a massive portion of Ulster's season and they need to start it off on a positive note. Now, we all know Ulster's record in the RDS and it may continue, but at the very least, I think you need to be taking something from this game and having some kind of momentum to take forward into the remaining games because... They, they still have to put that Connacht result to bed. You know, they did not play well in that game, even though they, that was what now, it was only five weeks ago. It feels like a hundred years ago, but that was only a few weeks ago. They've had the international break to sit on that, to stew on that. It will not sit well with them. And they have to come back and put that right. They have to put in a performance that says that was not us that you saw. So at the very least, you want to see some kind of an improved performance. You want to see them at least running Leinster close, given the, the squad that Leinster will have out. And ideally, you want them to be taking something from this game that they can use as momentum to take forward into the Ospreys the following week. Because ultimately, I think you got to be picking up... You know, I'm, I'm not even going to put a number on it, to be honest, in terms of wins or, or points, but... This, this is a crucial part of their season where they need to be taking some really positive results. Otherwise, you can be heading into the Six Nations and there are less games during the Six Nations as well, remember, for Ulster. So you could be heading into the Six Nations on a really low ebb and it's got to start this week to get them on a, on a positive mindset. Johnny, what are you... Well, Big Jim asks what halfback pairing uh, you'd be playing for Ulster. Uh, over the next few matches with the squad that Ulster have available this week. And, of course, Bradley Roberts is included in that uh, international panel who will not be available. What are the uh, the selection issues that you're you're going to be looking at when it comes to team selection time? Are you starting Bradley Roberts at 10, are you? And I just mean the team in general. Herring and Bradley Roberts, I, that does leave you with John Andrew and a potential debut for Tom Stewart those guys shared hooker duties on uh, for the A game in that game against Leinster another player who played in the A game against Leinster is obviously Ian Madigan so he's back John Cooney back so all of a sudden you've got you do have options for those halfback positions <laughs> look I, th- I think we'll probably see Cooney and Burns like, I don't think I don't think something's changed in that regard like for the games that are coming up but I suppose where where you might see a change is what happens with Mike Lowry because Mike Lowry has been the backup ten without seeing an awful lot of minutes. But if Madigan's back, if Lowry would find himself outside the twenty three, which could happen, if Madigan was preferred as the backup ten, 
then do you see Laurie, deploy, Laurie deployed as a fullback, given that Will Addison's out injured? And that's the interesting thing for me over the next couple of weeks, because there's been an awful lot of talk about Laurie as a 10. He's talked about it himself, but we haven't seen him get as many minutes as he was when he was playing more 15. And for me, somebody that, while I'd like to see him at 10, you have to see him somewhere. Like you have to get him on the pitch somewhere. Mm. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what the what is done with him. What would you do with the uh, with the back three and the uh, the halfback Burns at the weekend? Then Adam, halfbacks. I think Cooney and Burns are your two guys. I think there's been ample opportunity to give players other than Burns a run at fly half, and McFarland has so far opted not to do that. So I think that's the two guys that you're going to see there. But yeah, in the back three, I think McElroy for me has been one of the positives of the season so far. I think he's been really uh, he's been really solid on the wing, and I think there's still more to come from him. Gilroy, if he's available, I think goes on the other wing, and then you're probably looking at Larry at fullback. Rob Little's another one who hasn't really featured this season very yeah, much he played but that a game as well obviously yeah he yeah he played in the a game so he could come in so johnny in the back three all of a sudden they are looking that a little bit short because obviously balacoon's gone allison's uh out and uh jacob's stock deal do we know any sort of prognosis on him at this stage well i don't think he's particularly i don't think he's close like obviously it's a foot injury and I think the early prognosis that it would be Christmas, New Year. So that's, you know, whenever we're talking about him winning his Ireland place back, that's why we're saying that he has to get back and play, get a decent run for Ulster before. Because once you get into the new year, as we know, like there's the European games and then that's it. You don't really see the guys after those until the Six Nations. So, yeah. So, but you're right. Like Ulster, obviously with Balakun not injured, but presumably missing out this week, having played six days ago. It does leave you a bit a bit short of back three, and I think as Adam pointed out, Craig Gilroy is the uh, is the sort of key piece there because he's been playing well this season. But whenever we saw him go off against Connacht, obviously there's been no updates since then. So, mm. so in that context, and as Adam said, it's going to be largely a Leinster B or A side, whatever you want to call it. What are what would you be expecting from? The weekend's game, I suppose it's hard to expect anything at the RDS, no matter what the circumstances are. Yeah, but look, it's the best time to be playing them. Yeah. Like, you're talking about guys at Ulster are going to be missing. Like, Leinster are in a different position entirely because they're missing their entire first team, essentially, because their entire first team became the Ireland first team in November. Yeah. And what's worse for them is those guys went back with injuries. So it's not even a case of like we're saying with Balakuno, will he be available next week? Like, they will have regrouped after the autumn with Sexton out for a month, Gibson Park out, James Ryan going through the return to play protocols. Like, it's been a, from a purely Leinster-centric perspective rather than feeding into the overall Team Ireland, it's been a terrible November for Leinster because, you know, you've even got guys like Harry Byrne and I know, like, Ross Byrne can come in He's beaten Ulster in big games before without any issue. But, you know, Leinster are going to be down to, in a lot of positions, their third choice. Mm. Whereas there's not even that many positions where, through international selections, Ulster are down to their second choice. We know that they have plenty of injuries. But 
I'm aware again that we said this last year, but there's no better time to be playing them. If, if you if you look purely at the team sheet, Ulster may never get a better chance to beat Leinster in the RDS arena. Now, we all know that Leinster's team generally do perform much better than the names on the team sheet would suggest. But if you look purely at who Leinster are probably going to put out on the field, this is probably the quote-unquote weakest Leinster team that, that Ulster will will ever face. That's it, Scuppered now. That is it. Gone. Any chance? Well, look, I'm, I'm, look I'm, I'm, not, I'm not approaching this as I feel like Ulster should win because we all know how Ulster play whenever they play at the RDS Arena. And we all know that Leinster's third choice are better than most teams' first choices. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, pure, purely, purely, on, purely on the face of things, yeah. this will probably be, by, by depth chart, this will probably be the weakest Leinster team that Ulster will play for a long time. Say no more before we uh, we, we do uh, put the scud on them. Just finally, Jonathan, don't I'll ask, what's more significant for Ulster's European campaign? Because as you say, it's not too far away. Lavanini's ban or Henderson's injury? And we didn't talk about that red card yet, but, uh, well, safe to say that uh, Peter O'Mahony wasn't uh, overly enamoured with what he saw. Uh, no, he wasn't. That was uh, an all-time justification for ref, Mike, because that was great. Um, <laughs> just brilliant. Almost as good as him trying to roll it back after the game, <laughs> not in the heat of the moment, trying to be like, oh, you know, these are split-second fraction things, rather than being like <laughs> pointing out that Lavanini is obviously no no stranger to a red card, shall we say. First most uh, red-carded player in history. Yeah, yeah, first player in, ever in, in, the, in the test arena. Yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible incident. Um, but great to have a red card that there was literally no debate over, um, none, none whatsoever. So uh, we've, we've had some we've had some strange ones over the test series, like um, the Fiji boy whose name escapes me now. You know, having a second go on five. the ground, yeah, which just no need for that. And then Lavanini steaming into a rock with a shoulder, deciding that that was the best course of action. No, like I just I just think at that point Argentina's heads were gone, their discipline was gone, and. After whatever it is, six months, <laughs> six months in camp together on the road, I think they were just ready to go home. And Lavanini was ready to go home twenty minutes uh, <laughs> before the final whistle. I think. But um, what's going to be bigger, a bigger loss? Like the fact of the matter is, whenever you play these French teams with the squad depth that they have, they can always, always, always withstand the loss of a key player more than Ulster can because the drop off to the next player isn't as large as it is in Irish squads because they have so many good players. Like, make no bones about it. Like, Ulster really, really miss Ian Henderson whenever he's not there. Quite possibly more than they miss anybody else. I think that's probably fair to say. I'd agree with that. Certainly now with uh, the emergence of Nathan Doak, um, because previously you would, have put, you would have put Cooney up there. Obviously, they really miss McCluskey when he's not there. But look, we've said it an awful lot over the last couple of months. We've used Timoney as the example. We could see it, Doak and Cooney. A big, seemingly irreplaceable player being absent is an opportunity for somebody else to put their hand up. I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but we've seen it time and time and again. And the fact of the matter is, like as I think it was Donal alluded to earlier, like Ulster have had to make David Eide Henderson for a number of big games over the last couple of years. So if he is out and with a hamstring injury, it's always difficult because you're never going to rush somebody with a hamstring injury. So 
before we get this update later today, it is hard to envisage him not missing time. And that's a big loss. No doubt. Well, as we said, we shall hopefully know a little bit more later on on uh, just what the Ian Henderson's prognosis is from that injury. Just before we go, Ireland women beat Japan 15-12 at the weekend. It was Kira Griffin's final game, of course, so that understandably and rightly dominated all of the headlines on that one. But uh, for anybody who wasn't watching a little bit closer than that and may have missed it, what was the story for the, the Ulster girls down there? Well, yeah, like Catherine Dane started and Neve Jones got the start as well. Just a bit of uh, a bit of rotation, I suppose, because they hadn't been in the team uh, team the week before against the USA. Like it was, it wasn't a brilliant performance by any means, but I think I think they showed a good deal of character to overcome everything that's gone on around the team over the past month. I think that was a very very difficult environment for anyone to be playing test matches in the middle of, let alone players that have to balance everything else that they have to balance with to forge test careers and then to overcome the, the red card as well because it sort of looked like that game was going to unravel and it was going to be a particularly sour ending to an already very difficult year but you know f- fair play obviously a bit of a an overused sentiment but it really was a fairy tale ending for for Kira Griffin to score the two tries and sort of Paul Ireland back from the brink, as it were, and a great way for a player like that to go out, albeit under difficult circumstances because of 27. You know, there would have been a hope that there was plenty more for Ireland that she could have given. She could have went on for a number of years and still been one of Ireland's very best players, but certainly one of the great players of this last sort of decade, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's just about all we have time for and more. Probably a little bit of a, a longer episode this week, but saying it was the the conclusion of the international window. Hopefully you'll let us away with that one. So we will be back next week, of course, to look back at that game against Leinster. The best chance Holster will ever have to beat Leinster at the RGS. To apologise in advance for putting that tag on it and the inevitable disastrous consequences that that will have. Uh, We'll also next week be looking ahead to another away game, this one at the Ospreys before the European campaign kicks in. So for this week, Adam McKendry, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Chance. Thank you also, Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you. Back in your usual chair and hopefully all of your ardent supporters of uh, you being host on social media made do with myself, Gareth Allen. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>